Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, Associate Advisor at Providence. Joined with me today is Lim Chun Xiong, who is our Investment Research Analyst. Hi Chun Xiong. Hello Isaac, thank you for having me here. No problem. So in a blink of an eye, the second quarter of 2023 has come and gone. So as promised, we will be doing our market review of the quarter that has just passed. So Chun Xiong, how did financial markets perform the past quarter? Well, uh, Isaac, the S&P 500 for the second quarter went up by 8.6%. MSCI World, about 6.5%. Uh, MSCI All Country World, 59 And the MSCI Emerging Market is about 1.7%. So you can see overall the broad index did well for the second quarter. S&P 500 did exceptionally, which helps MSCI World, that reflects the developed market, to do better than the MSCI All-Country World, which comprise of both developed and emerging market. Now, emerging market was also positive for the quarter, but did not do as well compared to the developed market. Part of the reason is likely attributed to the Fed's signal to keep interest rate higher for longer, to curb sticky inflation, which drove up, drove up the US dollars, which means that emerging market weakens relative to the US dollars. And this means that the emerging markets, that issue denominated, US dollar denominated debt, will need to service a higher debt. Now, as a result, they seem more risky. Right, Chun Xiong, so what were the catalysts for the biggest moves? There were a few big factors that moved the market in the second quarter. Some were ongoing concerns that continued from last year, like inflation and higher interest rate. And more recently, worries of a systemic crisis spreading after a, US, after a few US regional banks collapsed. So we also have a debt, US debt ceiling issue, but the ceiling was eventually lifted by the end of the month. What drove the biggest moves in the market, though, is likely the AI optimism and US mega tax strong quarter one earnings that, were re- that was released in April. Well, I did a rough calculation. The big tech companies, to name a few, like NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta, their average rise in the second quarter was about 44%. And in the S&P 500, the weight allocated to these companies are about 28% in total. For the MSCI world, their weight is about 18.5. Now, the higher weight and strong performance have been the main catalyst for the positive performance in the second quarter. Right, so another significant event that happened in June was that the Fed opted to pause rate hikes. So was this a shock to markets or was it something that was already mostly priced in? Well, um, in, in their June monetary policy meeting, where they decide on the US interest rates and their expected future interest rates, the Fed has signaled that they are likely to hike rates for another 50 basis points or 0.5%. Well, because core inflation has been sticky because of a strong labour market. If this remains the case, 
they will likely follow through and hike rates. So from this perspective, we are not really seeing a pause, but a skip. Right, so far in 2023, as you mentioned, um, the market rally has mostly been growth-led. But we have seen value outperforming growth in 2021 and 2022. So in your opinion, do you think that growth stock rally is something that can be sustained? Or is it just a bounce back from badly beaten growth stocks? You know, as we know, growth stocks didn't do very well in 2022. Can't say whether this rally can be sustained or not. Well, it ultimately depends on them, on what the market thinks of their earnings as well as their actual earnings. Now, growth stocks have a higher price relative to their current earnings because they are expected to have a higher growth in earnings in the future. Last year, when interest rate and yields right, rose sharply, growth stocks, which has a higher weight in expected future earnings, fell sharply because of a higher discount rate. In other words, the current value of their future earnings is lower. On top of that, right, some of these growth stocks missed earnings expectation during the, that year, like Meta and Alphabet. This year, they rebounded because these companies have strong earnings. The market prices in this information almost simultaneously. And saying growth stocks can or cannot be sustained it's sort of saying that I have more information and therefore a better value estimate than the market. Right. So Fang stocks, more specifically Meta mm. and Netflix, as you mentioned, had a huge increase in their share price in 2023. So back in 2022, the Russell reclassified Meta and Netflix from growth to value when their stock price plummeted. And now I assume that you know with their huge stock price increase, um, they will be classified as growth stocks again. So if you don't mind me asking uh, a more technical question, uh, especially, you know, we use a systematic strategy that tilts towards value. Yep. And in the context of dimensional methodology, how did they deal with the stocks migrating from growth to value and back to growth again? Well, thank you, Isaac, for that question. This might sound a bit technical, but um, okay. Whether a stock is a growth or value stock tells us something about its um, long-term expected returns. Now, so does its size and profitability. Okay, momentum and securities lending, on the other hand, tells us something about the short-term expected returns. For example, if you lend out a stock at a high rate, it means that the cost of borrowing is high. And this cost of borrowing contains information about short-term expected return. A high borrowing rate indicates a lower expected return. Managing portfolios is a matter of weighting the long-term drivers of expected returns like size, value and profitability against the short-term drivers of expected returns, momentum and securities lending. And dimensionals know that to build portfolio around the long-term drivers and at the same time, they will use the short-term drivers to help them determine when to invest or divest them. Now that being said, right, just because a stock has gone from growth to value doesn't mean that Dimensional will automatically increase allocation to that stock. They still want to weigh the other long-term drivers such as size and profitability. 
they want to consider their money other stocks they may, may have higher expected returns because they are smaller more value or more profitable so ma- there are many things to consider beyond the stock simply going from growth to value now of course another thing to consider right is if it's a, a core or value strategy that holds the stock if it's a value strategy we will, they will look to sell a stock that has moved from value to growth category because it no longer fits the intended asset class of that portfolio. Now, if it's a core strategy, they can have more flexibility because the strategy can hold both value and growth stocks. Meta is currently considered to be a large cap, moderate value with strong upward momentum and high profitability. When it became cheaper, it had lower profitability and very strong downward momentum. So, Dimensional didn't load up on it. They only started to buy more when the downward momentum wore off. Now, Netflix is currently a large cap moderate growth, low profitability and moderate upward momentum. Not characteristics that they are looking to load up on. Okay, I'm going to quote, quote-unquote, what would be uh, bad investors in terms of behaviour? Uh, a, a so-called, quote-unquote, bad investor might sell Netflix and Meta when the prices go down because the news suggests things are bad. And they might therefore wait for better news to get back in, in when things look clearer. And then when the news go, does get better, the price becomes higher than the price they got out at and they sit on the sidelines not knowing what they should do next. So in contrast, dimensional users have a systematic process to weigh many different factors long and short term to help manage expected returns in a broadly diversified portfolio when managing costs to be, while managing costs to be as low as possible. Well, so let me try to summarize what you just said because it's very technical. Mm. I was taking a while to, to really internalize that. So... In a practical sense, so let's say um, for Meta and Netflix, we saw a huge uh, drop in stock price in 2022. Obviously, after the downward momentum has dissipated, the dimensional pickup, let's say Meta stocks, and you know when, when it became something that is more value, for example, in terms of, uh, let's say, a global core equity fund, the dimensional increased their weightage in Facebook when the downward momentum uh, dissipated. So last year, when Meta fell and moved from growth to value, Dimensional did load up on them because they have higher profitability. Right, so when we look at it, uh, it's um, as true to their name, you know, they take a multi-dimensional approach. So they don't just look, okay, if a, if a growth stock becomes value, they don't just start loading up. Like, they take into account... Um, uh, different factors like momentum, profitability before they make the decision. It's just that uh, for this specific case of Meta, uh, they have, they have, yes, their stock price fell last year, uh, but because they still have um, strong profitability. So there's two dimensions that uh, is favorable to dimensional to to pick up uh, more of that. Lah. So that's why um, we see that when, they, when there's a migration from growth to value, like the example of Meta. Uh, and when you look at the other factors like profitability, etc., it's all something that is in line with Dimensional's approach. We can see that Dimensional will actually 
buy more of those stocks. So now that we have seen the stock price soar, I mean, um, almost like I think it's above triple digits uh, return this mm. year for Meta. So how would dimensional treat stocks like that? You know, that went from maybe like you mentioned moderate value. Uh, let's say hypothetically it's a, it's a growth stock again. So how would dimensional deal with this migration from value to growth? Well, in fact, currently Meta is actually still considered to be moderate value. But let's let's say let's say that Meta has now become um, growth from value. So what what would happen is that depending on uh, other factors, for example, like um, momentum, if there was if there is an um, strong upward momentum, they would probably keep holding on to the stock first. And until that momentum dissipates, then they will have a lesser weight on that stocks. So in summary, if let's uh, say a stock goes from growth to value and back to growth again, uh, we have to consider that there are still other factors as well in terms of momentum, profitability, the size. Right. So let's just say Ceteris Paribus, everything uh, else helps constant. Uh, If a growth stock becomes value, uh, dimensional will wait for uh, you know the momentum to dissipate they will pick up um, more of those shares and vice versa like when it becomes value to growth you wait for the upward momentum to dissipate and then they will start to uh, cut on that position la. so in essence is that um, what dimensional is doing I know it's a bit more complex than that but let's just assume that all the other variables are constant uh, is that the gist of how systematic investing is I, I would say that what you summarize is is pretty much um, in a more uh, generic way that simplifies it, yes. Right. Okay, so let's talk about artificial intelligence. A lot of the recent rally centered around AI stocks, as you, already, you mentioned earlier. So the most prominent one being NVIDIA, which saw its share price really skyrocketing this year. So what's our take on this sudden AI hype? Like, does it make sense to chase this trend? The short answer is no. At Provident, we believe in holding a globally diversified portfolio to capture market returns. Essentially, what capitalism owes us in a way and do not believe in forecasting. From time to time, it is inevitable that we see certain trends or price spikes in a certain select group of stocks now, dating back from railway stocks in the 1800s, airline stocks to more recent times such as internet stocks and even marijuana stocks, electric vehicles and now AI, right? Now, empirically, we see no evidence that chasing these trends provide a reliable, good outcome. And history has shown that they tend to go and come and go without providing reliable returns to the investor. What do you mean by reliable returns? Like what does, uh, you know, at Provident, we always say reliable returns. What do we actually mean by that? Essentially, it is like betting on the trend. Betting on the trend is like rolling a dice. In fact, investing in a diversified portfolio for a longer time period increases your odds of success. Much like how 
the house in the casino usually comes out ahead. When you are invested for the long term, you are able to ride out short-term market fluctuations and benefit from the overall growth of the market. Over time, the stock market has historically shown an upward trend allowing patient investors to capitalize on the growth and potential profits. On the other hand, chasing trends and constantly buying and selling stocks based on short-term market movements is similar to gambling uh, in a casino, right? It's risky and often leads to unpredictable outcomes. Trends can be fickle and difficult to predict accurately. So by taking a long-term approach, staying diversified and invested, you can you, you position yourself more like the cas- house in the casino, increasing your odds of success over time. Right, well, some people will say that, oh, what if I invested in Microsoft during the um, internet bubble? I mean, Microsoft offices all around the world, everyone is using Microsoft. Investors in Microsoft, I'm sure they have received uh, outsized returns as compared to the broader market. So what if these trends do work out and change the world? Uh, Good question. There's always a chance that a stock you buy turns out to be a Microsoft of the, of the internet bubble whereby the investment has exceptional returns. However, it is more survivorship bias more than anything. There are thousands of internet stocks during the boom and even stocks that look fundamentally better than Microsoft during the peak of the bubble also had very poor returns. Trendy stocks tend to exhibit high prices with future earnings projected way into the future. These high price stocks, um, some of we, we can also call it growth stocks, do not have a high expected return in the long run. Right, that's very comforting to hear for our listeners. I mean, like, as long as you are invested in a globally diversified uh, portfolio, uh, don't start chasing trends. Uh, in the long run, you can expect Market returns to achieve whatever financial goal or life goals that you have set out. Uh, Whereas, if your strategy is to go for to chase after trends, um, there is always a good chance that you might get burnt and uh, not achieve the goals that you set out from the start. Lastly, what should we as long term investors do in these market conditions? The market is always on an ebb and flow. What I mean is that there are times when it is inefficient when there is new information that just came in. But the market quickly incorporates this information inside. Like I mentioned, by using market timing or investing in a few stocks which you think the current price is lower than its fair value, you are sort of saying the market is strong and, you know, I'm right. And what are the chances of you being right the best way as a long-term investor has always to been to stay invested in a diversified portfolio. And depending on your need and ability to take risks, you can either invest in, let's say, a 60-40 portfolios of stocks and bonds, or you are able to take more risks because you're at a younger age, for example. You can invest in 100% of stocks. Now, let's say if you are able to take higher risks and invest in 100% of stocks, holding a diversified equity 
portfolio would likely be better than holding a concentrated amount of stocks because of the reasons I mentioned above. That is very difficult to be more right than the market. Now next, imagine a 10-year risk-free bond that costs $100 and a unit of ETF that tracks the market index that also costs $100. Which one has a higher expected return? The market, right? Yeah. The bond, let's say, has a yield of $2 every year for the next 10 years and at the end of the 10 year, you get your principal back. Do you think your expected return for the unit of ETF be higher if you sell by the end of the 10 year? And why? Now, yes, it would be higher, but the expected return is less certain than compared to the bonds. Yes, in certain years, you can see that the market is negative. But if you look at historical data, for, for 50 years, 80 years, you will notice that the expected, the, the, the actual returns will be substantially higher than a risk-free bonds. That's why based on empirical evidence, the best strategy for a long-term investor is to stay invested in an index that proxies the market. Right, so as always, uh, to, to summarize what you just mentioned, you know, if you have a, a long enough time horizon, you have that risk appetite, uh, you know, just uh, sit tight, stay invested, um, you know, because as you mentioned, there's a high expected returns for equity portfolio as compared to a bond portfolio. Okay, so that's all for this week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed our Q2 market review. If you like this episode, follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar contents. As always, thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.